everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show. I, of course, am Mr. Warren Hayes, and today is special because we are going to be focusing on one subject, on one particular thing. We're going to be talking about the Firefly Funhouse match from WrestleMania 36. It's been just about a week since it's happened, and I want to deep dive into it. That's something that I, that's been irking me. You know, WrestleMania 36 was a unique event for many, many reasons. Uh, and the cinematic matches count for a big part of what will make WrestleMania 36 uh, memorable as we think about this event in years to come. Uh, during uh, during the, uh, the weekend of WrestleMania 36, WWE put on a pair of highly produced matches to help parry the problems, right, of having a wrestling event uh, being held in an empty arena. One of those cinematic matches was the Firefly Funhouse match, a match that, well, honestly, I don't even know if I can call it a match or if you can call it a match. It wasn't a segment either. It wasn't a vignette. It was an event. It was a moment that will remain whatever, regardless of what you decide to call it. It's going to be a moment in time that will remain a trademark of how creative WWE can get when they decide to. Um, and how creative was this? Like, seriously, uh, it, this thing has been living rent-free in my head since I saw it last Sunday. And the only way I can evict it is by doing this deep dive and getting into the significance of the event, its symbolism, the references. There's a lot to unpack in regards to this match. I guess we'll keep calling it a match. So let's go ahead. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's just jump right in, dive right in to the Firefly Funhouse match. And so this match opens up with um this match opens up with John Cena who arrives to a very typical wrestling entrance right the laser light show the music the titan tron happy baby face John Cena smiling charismatic his usual larger than life self and he kind of looks around he's like well you know we're we're doing this we're doing wrestlemania i get it it's kind of weird and he revs up to give us a welcome to wrestlemania but then we get a cut we get a cut it interrupts him. Instead of hearing him say, welcome to WrestleMania, we get a cut to old WrestleMania intros. We see Mean Gene. We see, and here, Vince McMahon welcoming us to WrestleMania, that classic soundbite that we all know about. And then we jump into the funhouse. Then we arrive at the funhouse. Uh, to me, right off the bat here, this is clearly a situation of Bray uh firing off some shots getting first blood if you if you will uh he's clearly stealing the spotlight from John Cena this is something he wants to do but more importantly by interrupting John's entrance by cutting him short by not letting John Cena bask in being John Cena he's telling him unlike your theme song says John this is not your time it, it, your time is not now this is my time it's my house, my rules. You're working on Bray time. So to me, straight off the bat, uh, a, a line is a line is drawn right in the sand. So we're in the fun house. 
And before we actually get get into get into this deeper, we've seen the Firefly Funhouse multiple times on WWE television at this point. Um, and I, to be sure that we're all on the same wavelength and that we understand just where I'm where I'm going with this, I want to offer you my interpretation of what. I think the Firefly Funhouse is just to make sure that we're clear and that we're kind of all on the same wavelength so that you know where I'm coming from. You don't have to agree with what I'm saying, but at least you'll understand that, you know, I'm not just pulling stuff out of my butt. Um, the Firefly Funhouse is Bray Wyatt's happy place. The dude has gone insane. He's nuts. Uh, he, and he's gone crazy because he's tried so hard on so many occasions with so many personas to try and make it in WWE that it, it, he's uh he's clearly cracked and this is his safe haven where he's where he can be with his all his abandoned gimmicks uh from across the years and that's what the puppets of the funhouse are right yeah Huskus the pig is clearly uh, a reference to uh Husky Harris his first gimmick and then Mercy the buzzard refers to um uh, original cult leader Wyatt family Bray Sister Abigail is when he started getting magic powers. And Rambling Rabbit, you know, a lot of people have interpreted it in very different ways. To me, Rambling Rabbit is the eater of worlds gimmick. Where he didn't, where he felt very small, very vulnerable, tiny as opposed to all the other puppets. Um, and all he did was just talk and ramble. Had these really long extended promos that never really led anywhere. So that's... That's how I think is. That's how I think the um, the outline of his um, uh, of his gimmick go gimmicks go as far as the puppets are concerned. So this is a place essentially where he stares, where he stores, excuse me, all his good memories of his career, and he tries to stay positive and strong um, within the confines of the funhouse. But that monster that dwells within him, that spirit of vengeance that he calls the fiend, is too strong. Right? He wants. The fiend wants to set things right. And as Bray often tells us, you know, he f the fiend doesn't forget, nor does he forgive. Bray has told his opponents, I forgive you for what happened, but this guy here doesn't. And ultimately, Bray just wants to, he wants to be happy, which is why he has this construct, this mind space in a certain way in which he exists. So ultimately, I think what all of the, the Firefly Funhouse fiend thing regarding Bray, Bray Wyatt, I think, I feel this is uh, the struggle, the embodiment of the struggle of Bray Wyatt being a good employee, doing what he's told, going along with what creative has developed for him, while all the while harboring resentment and frustration at being misused and mishandled um, and shifted around the, um, being, you know, being pushed and then being cooled off the rage of not being able to live up to your potential, both physically and, uh, athletically and creatively. And to do, uh, despite, you know, doing what you're told and pouring yourself into what your company wants you to do, others pass you by. I think that's, that encapsulates the entire Bray Wyatt character these days. So Bray is standing there and he's talking to us and he says, 
there is a world that exists beyond our realm of comprehension, a world where our darkest urges are no longer kept secret. This is a world where gods, monsters, angels, and demons are neighbors. And I like this line here because I think it's a line that reflects the WWE mythos. What, by and large, monsters and angels could refer to heels and baby faces very easily. And, um, and I think as far as the gods of wrestling go, you know, WWE especially, but fans also, we have a tendency to elevate certain superstars to this god level tier, right? Like John Cena, like Hulk Hogan, like Ric Flair, numerous others, where we elevate them into these, these uh, archetypes, untouchable gods of wrestling, right? Uh, whereas demons, I think is an interesting word as well, because demons is in, in, in wrestling, uh, has a very, it's, uh, it, it, it's lingo, right? For, for addictions, for those who have, uh, fell from the graces of wrestling, uh, and wrestling fans because of their own personal struggles. So I thought this was a very interesting line. Bray asks, uh, who are we really? And why, why? do we do the things that we do? And he says to John Cena, now that he's about to face his most dangerous opponent yet, himself, John Cena's self. And Bray goes through the door of the funhouse uh, where there's a sign hanging on it that says, abandon all hope ye who exit here. And uh, this is a callback to um, the most famed translation of a line from Dante's Divine Comedy where the line is that it says abandon all hope ye who enter here that's the inscription actually that that's found it's the last line of an inscription found on the gates of hell that dante within the divine comedy uh, uh when he enters hell that's what he reads there on on the gate on uh, on the gates but the reversal here you'll have noticed that hope is to be abandoned in this case here in the in the funhouse. Hope is to be abandoned if you leave the funhouse as opposed to entering it. So in one sense, um, it's it's a warning to John Cena, of course. But I can't help but wonder how referential it is to Bray, because as I mentioned a little before, this ties right in. If he leaves the safety of his little funhouse, he's confronted with the ugliness and the darkness that lives within him. He doesn't like The Fiend. I don't think Bray Wyatt, uh, Funhouse Bray Wyatt likes The Fiend. He cowers when he thinks about The Fiend. All the other um, puppets cower as well. So I kind of think this goes both ways here. Yes, it's a warning for John, but it's also something that, uh, that, that Bray is very aware of. And I think that the fact that he goes through the door shows that he's very self-aware, that he's sort of made peace with his darkness because he goes through voluntarily. John, John doesn't have much of a choice. He has to go through there if he wants this to happen. And have we ever seen Bray Wyatt walk out of the Firefly Funhouse? He's walked in numerous times. So, right? We've seen him open the door and come in, but I, I can't recall him leaving, like actually going through the door. So going through the door here to me is very symbolic of something uh, darker that's about to happen. So John does appear in the funhouse. John Cena, Rambling Rabbit, tells him to go after Bray, tells him to be careful, though. And John exits the funhouse. 
Uh, one of the reasons, and this is a very, I, I'm not inventing anything here. This is, it's, it's a, a, a very basic storyline principle here. One of the reasons I feel that the Firefly Funhouse match works so well is because John Cena is our proxy. We're living through this event. We're living this event through his, 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 his own eyes to a certain extent. He doesn't understand what's going on. We don't understand what's going on. So through him, we try to gain an understanding of what's happening. So again, this it's a very um, it's a very common literary uh, storytelling technique. Um, but still, I, but I, I just want to point that out. I think it's one of the reasons why it's so very effective. Cena then arrives into a dark place. There's nothing exists. Nothing is around. He seems lost. He seems to be looking for something only to have the Vincent Kennedy McMahon puppet appear to give him direction and pull him out of obscurity. Right. The, uh, the puppet gives him the, uh, a shortened version of the ruthless aggression promo that, uh, Vince McMahon cut, um, in uh, 2002 on, um, on raw, uh, the one where he said, where he's addressing the WWE locker room, as they all stand around the ring, uh, where he's saying, do you have enough ruthless aggression to make the necessary sacrifices to make it in this company? And he says to, so it, it's a very uh, uh, um, uh, iconic promo for Vince, which ends with another iconic line from Vince. It says, show me or you're fired. Now, Vince in this representation is clearly the devil. We've seen the money-eating Vince McMahon puppet, be, um, the devil, excuse me, the devil money-eating Vince McMahon puppet before. Here we go. But uh, it's, uh, but here it takes a lot more, it, 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 it creates a lot more sense here. He's the dark force that created John Cena and set him down this path, which seems very good and gleaming at first, but uh, you'll see as we go along here in this interpretation, Vince clearly set John down a darker path than what, was expected and isn't that ultimately the work of the devil to be able to trick you into thinking you're doing something good while in fact it may not be as good as you think little monkey paw action going on we then cut to bray wyatt who's playing kurt angle in the ring and uh, he and john cena reenact that famous ruthless aggression promo where uh, on SmackDown that actually happened like three days after uh, Vince cut the original promo on Raw. So as Bray portrays Kurt calling out anyone in the back who wants to fight him, Cena comes out in his rookie prototype gear. Uh, the SmackDown fist is behind him so just to make sure that we are clearly at another time period. And he confronts Bray with the ruthless aggression line. They basically go through the motions. But Bray ducks the shot and taunts Cena some more. And all John can do is consistently reply with ruthless aggression, followed by a swing that Bray keeps dodging. And John is unable to respond because that's what John was asked to say and do. You go out there, you say the line, you take a shot. That's exactly why John is unable to respond despite Bray taunting him. Um, Bray says he's literally living Cena's biggest failure, which is something Cena actually acknowledged in the Ruthless Aggression uh, documentary 
where he said WWE was just ready to give up on him and uh, and not and let him go once his contract was up later that year in November uh, because he wasn't impressing anyone at that point. So, so even when Bray taunts Cena with the Nikki Bella song, right? The Bella Twins, but it's clearly Nikki, right? Referencing the now ill-fated WrestleMania 33 marriage proposal, Cena can't land a single blow. He's a rookie. He's being the company kid. And Bray asks him if this is what Cena wants to do with his life. And then you see, they, they flash into a few pictures of a younger John Cena as a kid with handmade wrestling championship belts, you know, but no, John, John wants to make it. And to make it in WWE, you have to make it as Vince McMahon likes you, right? And how do you get Vince McMahon to like you? We know enough about Vince over the years that Vince has a type when it comes to his guys. He has a body type, a hero type. This is when we move on to, when we segue into the Saturday Night's Main Event segment. That starts off, look, we're back into the 80s. It's that era that is infamous for establishing the fact that Vince wants larger-than-life muscle men, bodybuilding types. Uh, that's how WWE wanted to position itself uh, as opposed to the competition. These larger-than-life uh, supermen. And Wyatt says it himself, as he's parodying Vince's former golden boy Hulk Hogan, that's what being a stud is all about, having muscles, no matter what little talent you possess. So to make it, Cena would have to adapt and take cues from Vince's likes. And this is going to be important later on, but Cena, as when Cena does his rapid fire curls, you know, basically to show that he put his body to the extreme to, to, to get bigger, to really work out and get the shape, the size that Vince likes. He also started doing over-the-top cookie-cutter 80s promos, right? Because he, what, what Cena is doing here is clearly becoming a part of the product, doing what the product wants him to do so that he can become successful instead of doing something for himself. He, he's doing what he thinks his boss wants him to do in order to become a success. Right off the bat here, there's a tremendous difference between he and Bray Wyatt at this point. Because if John is doing what he thinks is best to become successful, Bray has always done things maybe a little more creatively that wouldn't guarantee such a overnight inter, uh, international mainstream success but would at least be successful for himself anyway Cena eventually snaps out of this um uh of this uh 80s beat but he's been curling so much that his his arms are basically noodles they're limp and he as he reckon reckon reconnects with the reality of what's going on he tries to hit Bray but he can't you have the Vince McMahon puppet saying damn it keep your hands up and apparently this is a line that Vince uses a lot to the referees, that radios into the referees to tell people in the ring to keep their hands up. Apparently, this is something that Vince does quite a bit. And um, this all comes to an end when Bray 
basically says, what you gonna do, brother? Of course, we know who he's aping here. What you gonna do, brother, when you realize, when, when you realize that egomania has been running wild on you? Referencing the fact that John is maybe, maybe getting a big head. We're back, uh, we're back to the fist now. And in comes John Cena in his Doctor of Thugonomics personality. This was the part of John Cena's career where he tried to creep in some of that Attitude Era edge that Vince was probably still looking for uh, at the time. Uh, he, uh, the Attitude Era was such a profitable moment in history for WWE. Of course, Vince would probably would have loved to continue down that path for a while still, but wasn't quite the case. Anyway, Doctor of Thugonomics, John Cena leaned into creating raps, creating hurtful, sexually charged, oftentimes offensive raps for laughs. And in in this segment here, he calls Bray husky and fat. He tells Bray in a very roundabout way to suck his dick. Uh, calls Bray a disappointment and then uses the line a fantastic line, whichever way you want to look at it. You're a slut for opportunity. You're blowing every chance. And that was fantastic. So here, I think what we, what what we're trying to, what we're leaning into is that the doctor of Thugonomics was a bit of a mixture of old school, old school WWE body types with some of that attitude era edge to it. This is what John Cena was trying to be. Again, something composed out of things that were successful in the past that Vince McMahon truly got behind. So, he did his best for that to connect. Bray doesn't care much for the rap here. He says, how, do you, how dare you talk to me about chances? I've earned everything I've worked for and still they take it from me. Your chances are unlimited, John. You're untouchable. You're not a hero. You're a bully. A horrible person. You take the weaknesses of others and you turn them into jokes. And you, you'll recall, like, just in the buildup to this match, Bray called out John for all the opportunities that he's had over the years and, you know, that the business doesn't need John Cena anymore, that it's time to move on. But John took it personally and started attacking Bray personally. It wasn't no longer about business. It's as if John Cena has this difficulty of making a difference between what is personal and what is public persona because he started calling Bray a fat failure. Not just a failure, but a fat failure. Breaking the line of whatever you want to call it, kayfabe fiction, by calling on Bray personally in an attempt to do some character assassination, uh, to forget and instead focus on the areas where Cena feels bigger and superior to him where he knows he's the alpha male. And when you think about it, the doctor of Thugonomics, John Cena, has always kind of been around. He just didn't rhyme as much, but he was always taking very individual personal shots where, where that line between fiction and reality 
public persona versus private persona, character versus person, is always blurred. But in this situation here, where Bray is confronting John, telling him, you're not a good person, you're a bully, he's asking Cena to confront his inner darkness, not unlike what Bray has done. Ergo unleashing the, the fiend. And that's why, that's why Bray Wyatt uh, tells him, he says, this is your last chance. The floor is yours. He wants John to have an epiphany, have a moment, sort of think back at everything that happened. But instead, power hungry, ready to do anything for fame, John Cena just dismisses it with a stupid D's nuts joke and charges Bray, right? Because he... He prefers to go down that route of quips, easy lines, rather than give a, a good hard look at himself. Bray teleports and leads us back, back into the Wyatt family gimmick. The Bray Wyatt rocking chair, Bayou cult leader, a beloved gimmick from his days in NXT that did develop success on the main brand. This reimagined Waylon Mercy character, it got Bray over. It got over. Just recently, to fuel this match here, and they spoke about it again in the uh, in the Funhouse as well, they re-aired the now, the now infamous WrestleMania 30 match. Infamous now because it's the one that we're using now to, to use as the, um, that we're using now as the jumping off point for the Bray Wyatt downward spiral, right? But you... You look at this match, you listen to it. The people are chanting. They're singing the, he's got the whole world in his hands song. And that's what Bray says. He says, listen, I did have the whole world in my hands. Listen, John, they wanted me. This was supposed to be a prophecy fulfilled. Instead, this was my grandest failure. But John Cena, who's always fancied himself a man of the people, like Bray said, needed to do something to get the people back on his side. This, because they weren't on his side. Despite him thinking that he's a man of the people, they weren't on his side. Just listen to the reactions here in that match. Bray, knowing during this match, knowing he can't beat Cena, tosses him a chair to finish him. To let the darkness come out of John Cena and produce a change in him since he can't defeat him. But no, no, Cena just discards the chair and beats Bray Wyatt, just like every other John Cena match, uh, and ends it by doing salutes to the audience, just like every other match, an audience that is jeering him, that is booing him, and yet he's standing there convinced he's a conquering hero, convincing he's done the right thing. So we get back into the ring, into the Firefly Funhouse, and we got Bray dancing with John Cena, but John Cena is a rag doll. He's not doing anything. Like dancing with a with with a corpse, essentially, right? Dancing uh, like like you're trying to do something creative, but the other guy has been dead on his feet for years. Bray is trying something out, wants something wants something creative out of this, but. There's nothing you can do. The guy's dead on his feet. 
Bray Wyatt then hands John Cena a chair, gets back on his knees, and he says, six years ago, you made the wrong choice, which was to not hit Bray Wyatt with a chair. And he go he goads John Cena on to hit him with the chair. Fix it, John, is what he says. And unlike at WrestleMania 20, Cena swings the chair. He swings it this time because he cannot confront the darkness, the hatred, and the shame that he's been through so far because he knows deep down inside that everything that Bray has been telling him up until this point is true. But Bray Wyatt disappears. The chair shot just whiffs. And we move on to the WCW Nitro segment with the NWO uh, NWO Nitro. Bray Wyatt is playing Eric Bischoff. John Cena comes out playing Hollywood Hulk Hogan. They do the NWO gimmick. They two sweet each other in the ring. But why? Why are we doing this? I've heard a few theories. I've even had my own. But thinking more about it, this is because this is this is what I think this represents. It's not because of missed opportunities. It's not because Cena was not unlike a Hulk Hogan using his creative power. It is because the fiend, Bray Wyatt, has shown John Cena to be a heel. At this point, it is undeniable that in his career, John Cena has not been the good guy. He has been a heel all along. And not unlike Eric Bischoff, who helped guide the Hulk Hogan heel turn at Bash of the Beach in 1996, Wyatt introduces us the face of W as the face of WCW to his new heel creation, NWO John Cena. But unlike Hollywood Hogan, Cena doesn't accept the heel turn. Uh, he never walked into this into his own accord. This is something that he's been fighting to prove that he's this isn't it. He is a good guy. So what does he do? He defies the reality of what's happening once again by attacking Bray Wyatt. There's And at this point, forgot to mention, just right up until this point, Cena comes out in jeans wearing NWO gear. But when he attacks Bray Wyatt... He snaps back to current to his current contemporary gear. The NWO stuff is gone. He's got the jean shorts. He's got the he, he's got the uh, the armbands, and he grounds and pounds Bray Wyatt. And as he does, we're treated to a quick edit montage of some of uh, some of Cena's biggest failures as well. You know, we see the. If Cena wins, we riot signs from ECW One Night Stand, which became a thing. Uh, losing to The Miz at uh, WrestleMania 27. Uh, losing to The Rock at WrestleMania 28. Leaving his armband in the ring after losing to AJ Styles at SummerSlam in 2016. And he keeps grounding, uh, he keeps pounding on Bray Wyatt until he realizes what he's been doing. He's been punching Huskus the Pig which is the representation of Bray's original persona. A persona of a young guy coming into a company who, not unlike John Cena, just wanted to do what his boss wanted him to do. He tried to get over. He did his best. He 
rode with what creative gave him. And John all this time was simply stomping on him. And as John looks down at his hands in disbelief, perhaps realizing his career has been that of a heel, maybe realizing how many careers he's hurt, the fiend rises behind him. The spirit of vengeance is there. And as Cena is locked into Sister Abigail, we hear lines from his promos leading up to WrestleMania, stating that this will be the end of where he was promising the end of one of the most overhyped, overvalued, overprivileged superstars in existence. And it's inevitable at this point. We see the ending coming and it becomes an, a moment of terrible irony and ultimate hubris. John Cena becomes the overhyped, overvalued, overprivileged superstar. And he is defeated, lying in the ring with the fiend standing over him victoriously. And as Cena disappears, the fiend remains, reminding us that the future of the business doesn't need John Cena, that his time is no longer now. His time has passed. Cena's catchphrase for a long time was, you can't see me. But everyone in that audience, everyone, not in that audience, but the viewing audience, everyone saw John Cena tonight. Saw him for who he is, and as such, by disappearing like that, we no longer truly need to see him ever again. I, I don't remember at any given moment where I felt anything WWE has produced could give me the desire to sink my teeth so deeply into. This was fantastic. And ultimately, what it is, it is a love letter to wrestling fans, to people who have been watching WWE for years. I've said it multiple times. WWE doesn't reward its longtime viewers by retconning the past, changing details, and focusing on very specific areas as opposed to giving us larger pictures in regards to stuff that has happened throughout its history. But here, here, this was a gift. It was a thank you for anyone who had been paying attention and stuck with this company throughout all these years. It shows that if they want, they can continue to reward us and make us feel good about being a fan of pro wrestling. It showed us that when it's time, they can think out of the box and help us rethink our relationship with wrestling. What it is we like about it and what we'd like more of. It's a thought piece for sure. It's something unique but I don't think they'll be able to reproduce so efficiently. But it does make you wonder. It does make you wonder where we're able to go with pro wrestling in the future. I'm all for experimentation. I'm for trying stuff out. Sometimes things stick. Sometimes, sometimes things don't work out as well. 
But I'm happy, real happy, that WWE, multi-million, excuse me, billion-dollar company with hundreds of people at their fingertips to create entertainment has decided to mess around with its formula. Try some stuff out. And when the result is something as wonderful as this, a celebration of what it means to be a wrestling fan, I really hope they keep trying stuff out. Folks, if you are watching this on YouTube right now, do consider giving the video a thumbs up. Leave a comment. Let me know what you thought of the Firefly Funhouse. Let me know your own theories. Maybe you didn't like it. And that's entirely okay as well. I'd like to know why you didn't like it. Just drop a comment right here or reach out to me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes. Especially if you're listening to this in podcast format. Format. That's a great way to reach out as well. Do consider subscribing to uh, the YouTube channel, to uh, to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. But most of most importantly, thank you all very much for coming over and listening to me do this deep dive. And I'll see you next time.